0: When an airport in Amsterdam realized they had a serious problem with urine
1: spillage at the urinals in their restrooms, the cleaning manager proposed a unique solution, one that has affected the production of urinals throughout the world even today.
0: The legendary band The Beatles just joined an exclusive club on the music streaming platform Spotify. But why did it take so long? And what's a billion streams really worth? When you go to a restaurant, you expect to order
1: and have your food make it to the table the way you ordered it. But what if the script was flipped, and on purpose, a unique restaurant in Tokyo decided to find out?
0: All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it.
1: So Dave, uh, you don't travel a lot whole lot for work but from time to time you have to uh how are you as an airport traveler are you a good airport traveler do you enjoy it or is it kind of like a chore to you
0: um i think it's i don't do it so much that i find it annoying um i think it's kind of fun but i was spoiled with airport travel a couple of years ago so i've referenced him before on the show my friend jay not you uh, he's part of, um, I guess you would call it like the diamond club. I don't know. It's like a, an American airlines special club. It's like that, those secret doors, you know, at the air, at the airport that you can't go through That only like important <laughs> people or yeah, rich I know that can drives you not,
1: absolutely crazy that you were not allowed to go through. I was going
0: to say not you specifically, <laughs> but just, you know, most of us can't go through. Well, when I travel with him, I get to go through those. <laughs> we were, as so we're in Chicago a couple years ago and I got to go to this exclusive club It's incredible. Like, it totally changes (laughs) airport travel. You go to, like, this little special lounge. You get to watch all the peasants below, the normal people who are having to use, like, the nasty bathrooms. You get to use your own bathroom. There's, like, unlimited buffet food there's lounge music it's incredible it's exactly what you think it is well it's been established
1: on this podcast before but but one of your like deepest joys in life is getting to just be where people like other people aren't allowed to be like having vip exactly access it. or like early yeah. access like when you just get a special privilege that other people don't have it's just intoxicating <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dave, in 2017, a man named Richard Thaler won the Nobel Prize in economics for pioneering a subfield called behavioral economics, which is defined as the analysis of psychological insights into human behavior to explain their decision making. But this story of how this great field merging of economics and psychology actually begins in the 1990s at a urinal. In the 90s, the cleaning manager at Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport was trying to find a way to reduce spillage around urinals. The mess was causing more cleaning time and creating an unsanitary environment in the bathrooms. Since the bathrooms weren't their own, restroom goers were not really motivated to be particularly careful, and the lack of personal investment led to, well, a mess. The manager decided to try something unorthodox. He had a very small photorealistic image of a housefly etched onto the urinals right near the drain. Flies are annoying and a little gross, but it's not also like alarming, like maybe a spider. And the goal was to give people something to aim at. And Dave, did they ever... The manager reported an 80% reduction in urinal spillage, driving down cleaning costs by an estimated 8% and allowed staff to relocate to other places in the airport. Urinal flies and other images have begun to pop up all over the world as a result. Richard Thaler categorizes this illustration as a nudge. In his 2008 book, he defines a nudge as a choice that alters people's behavior in a predictable way without forbidding any options or significantly changing their economic incentives. And Dave, what makes a nudge effective is that it is not a mandate. It doesn't make it impossible to do the wrong thing, but it makes it easier to do the right thing. Imagine fighting the urinal problem by imposing fines for bad aim or trying to hire someone to enforce good aim rules in the bathroom. This would be super intrusive and really expensive. A nudge solves the problem without any of the extra cost. The same principle can be applied to any number of other choices, big and small, that people make in the course of their lives, says Christopher Ingram for the Washington Post. To nudge people to save for retirement, you can automatically enroll them in a 401k plan when they start a new job. To nudge people into using less energy, you can show them how much electricity they consume relative to their neighbors. To nudge them toward better eating habits, make the healthy food options easier to reach in cafeterias. All of these revelations about the effectiveness of nudges has changed a lot of the conversation around behavioral economics. It led ultimately to Richard Thaler winning the Nobel Prize and businesses and workplaces, even governments, have tried to get creative in how to influence behavior to get people to do the right thing by not necessarily banning the wrong thing. Thinking this way and flipping the script is clearly a pretty powerful way to change someone's behavior.
0: So you go into a restroom... Um, well, let's just say there's five urinals. Okay. Right? And somebody's in the middle one. Okay. Where do you go?
1: You're spo- Unless there's no option, the, the rule is you're supposed to leave a urinal between you and the other person. Unless there's no option. I don't know
0: how women do it. You know, obviously, I've never been in a women's <laughs> bathroom uh, on purpose. Um, well, but it, it, if you, have you gone it, so in on accident? <laughs> well, I, I mean, maybe. I, I don't <laughs> know. I'm not sure it could have happened. But I, I'm just saying, if, if you're in a urinal, and there's an open urinal that's got some space, and somebody comes in right beside you, serial killer yeah, behavior. Yeah,
1: psychopath behavior. so like yeah, completely yeah. psychotic behavior to just come right beside it's you. It's
0: almost like you're in a movie theater, you're there by yourself, and somebody walks in, they sit right beside you. But it's it's even worse, because you're using the bathroom,
1: and they're using the bathroom. Especially <laughs> if they try to talk. Like their peace like I, bill is getting on you, <laughs> and it could have <laughs> all been avoided.
0: Jay, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you and I are on Spotify. Okay, like this podcast is obviously on Spotify, and many of you are probably listening to us right now on Spotify. That's not what I'm talking about. Little known commute listener fact Jay and I are also both musicians. I'm a drummer, Jay is a bass player. And I know what you're thinking, what can't they do? And the answer is nothing. (laughs) Play play guitar and piano like the other (laughs) (laughs) instruments. I did. What if we uh, formed a band, just drums and bass? It'd be the the worst sounding thing ever. (laughs) Quick, quick side story. I did try to learn how to play guitar just to play a song for a girl one time. Uh, I just learned that song. And when I showed up to try to play it for her, she said, I'm good. (laughs) Did you know that we are on Spotify? Yeah, no, I, I knew that we're on Spotify. Okay, so number two, have you ever received a check for us being no. on Spotify? <laughs> no. No, it must have been lost in the mail. A- exactly, <laughs> and, and here's the thing. So according to the information that I can find, okay, judging on the collective plays through the years, so that's all of them added up, and we're in Spotify in, in multiple places, it looks like you and I, get ready, we may be entitled, both of us, to somewhere between Eighteen to twenty-three cents a piece. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I give me what I'm owed. <laughs> <laughs> Jay. Recently, the legendary band The Beatles—they're entitled to a lot more than eighteen to twenty-three cents a piece. <laughs> became part of a growing yet exclusive club, which is artists who have surpassed the one billion streams mark for a song on Spotify. Today it was the George Harrison penned Here Comes the Sun from the album Abbey Road that became the 406th song to join the Spotify Billions Club. Seven years ago, the artist Drake became the first, and here in the summer of 2023, the Beatles have become one of the latest. Launched over a decade in 2011, Spotify still reigns supreme in the growing music streaming service industry with over 210 current million subscribers. And Jay, that's up from 100 million in just 2019, so rapid growth. Miley Cyrus recently became the fastest to ever have a song hit a billion, her song Flowers achieving the milestone in just five months. But why did it take a legendary band like the Beatles so long? Well, for starters, the Beatles were among the handful of Spotify holdouts, and actually digital music distribution in general holdouts. The Beatles didn't appear on Apple iTunes until 2010 and weren't available on Spotify until 2015. The age of the average Beatles listener came into play as well. Many Beatles fans come from a generation that still prefers music on a vinyl or on a CD. And younger listeners who like the Beatles also like artists like Taylor Swift, so the listens get a little bit more spread out. The older the track, the tougher to rack up big streaming numbers. Guillermo Vieira, webmaster at Chartmasters.org, told USA Today. And Chartmasters is a uh, company that tracks online music activity. When you compare Here Comes the Sun to Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, Vieira said, which, uh, by the way, is the most streamed song on Spotify at more than 3.9 billion <laughs> streams, Here Comes the Sun hits about 630,000 streams daily on Spotify, while Shape of You nets more than 1.2 million daily. And Jay, to further drive home this point, Here Comes the Sun isn't only the first Beatles song to join the Billions Club, it's the first song from the 1960s to join. A few more have since made it, though, including Ain't No Mountain High Enough from Marvin Gaye. But going back to our payouts, which wouldn't even be worth the stamp needed to mail the check, how much does it pay to have a song pass a billion streams like the Beatles just did? Well, according to USA Today, music distribution company Ditto Music estimates that one billion streams, just take a guess, how much do you think that's worth?
1: You know, I want to say it should be worth multiple millions of dollars, that if it was sold as physical media and you sold a, f- a billion physical like CDs, you would make millions of dollars. But I'm afraid what you're going to tell
0: me is it's worth like... $88 dollars or something, like, <laughs> no, super no. measly. So it, it is. It's still worth millions of dollars. So a billion streams is worth about $4.5 million. Dollars. Okay. Spotify pays out around .003 and .005. That's not three and five cents. That is a fraction of a cent per stream on average, which means that for about every million streams a song receives, it's worth around $4,000. See, that's
1: insanity. Like, like, even if you think about it, 4 million sounds like a lot, it is, but like, it's a million
0: streams (laughs) like that's not that's nothing (laughs) you're in a band with four guys you hit a million streams you're so pumped and then you each get a check for a thousand dollars i
1: mean ultimately we're going to a place where it's going to be like unsustainable to make music anymore right like if you can't sell physical media anymore and you have to just run by streams like there's there's no way
0: to make enough money to sustain it right we have AI now. We don't really need to... None of us need to do <laughs> yeah, anything. Let's welcome
1: our AI pop star overlords. Do you actually like the music of Ed Sheeran? Because I kind of find his songs to be like kind of annoying. And um, I guess I'm in the minority here since he's said a billion streams. But My
0: wife did walk down the aisle to an Ed Sheeran song at my, at my wedding, and you were my best man. So I guess that means... I made a mistake. In- I, did, I didn't say anything about it. I, well, it I, I can read <laughs> between the lines. I, I, well, I saw you in the wedding video. You can see you suddenly roll your eyes. Okay, as no, the door That's opens. not true. It's not true. See, at my wedding, at my wedding, you rolled your eyes. At your wedding, I got stung by multiple yellow jackets.
1: For you, that's true. Well, so. we we made a critical error. I was only twenty three years old when I got married, so that should be said. I was young and naive uh, to do this, but we did put real flowers on the archway above, and it was August. So yes attracted a whole (laughs) nest of Yellow Jackets and uh, yeah they they did their they did what Yellow Jackets do during the ceremony Sting So Dave I've been to a lot of restaurants with you over the years and if there's one thing I know and I don't think that you'll run from this I think you'll embrace it is that you are very particular when you go to a restaurant. And now I'm not saying that you're rude, because you're not rude, you're very kind to the servers. You don't berate them or anything, but you do want things a very particular way. So I'm the kind of guy, you know, if my food comes out wrong, like, there's a pretty good chance I'm just going to not say anything about it and just kind of be like, I guess I like onions on this burger, you know? Like, I'm just going to kind of roll with it. better than Uh, me. But you are like, no, you know, you don't want the pickle sphere on the side of the burger. Like, you want, like, the two ranches. Like, you want, like, you know, like, you want everything laid out Dave's way.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you said I'm not rude about it because I really am not. I try not to be. Um, But, I mean, you're paying somebody for something, so you kind (laughs) of want what you – what so like yeah see
1: and this is what you say as they (laughs) walk back to the kitchen you know this is what you're saying to the you're not lying about the
0: pickle spear though so I, i don't know the obsession with putting pickle spears with the sandwich it ruins the juices if you don't like pickles it ruins the entire meal the juices run into the sandwich the fries whatever so i've started to tell waiters and waitresses like hey and no pickle spear if possible i'm allergic which I don't think you can actually be allergic to pickles, but when you
1: say I'm googling it right now and it does say uh, people, many people suffer from pickle. Well, perfect, so, so it does I'm exist, stick with it. but it's not it's not super
0: common. Well, well so but it's, if, but you're, it, it if you're them and I just say hey, I'd prefer not a pickle spear, you don't care. But if I say hey, and I'm I'm definitely allergic to pickle spears, you make sure it's not on there. Cause that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> it's also a lie, you know, but <laughs> well, uh, that's uh, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato. It's well, a- if
1: you've ever been to Japan, you'll know that if you visit a restaurant, mistakes are just simply not made. And if they are servers will bend over backwards to fix it. The idea of service in Japan is very important and order accuracy is a huge part of this. But Dave, in Tokyo, there is a restaurant that challenges this fundamental aspect of the culture called the Restaurant of Mistaken Orders. (laughs) On its website, the description reads, You might think it's crazy, a restaurant that can't even get your order right. All of our servers are people living with dementia. They may or may not get your order right. The restaurant, Dave, employs only servers who have dementia. And naturally, this means that orders do get delivered wrong more often than in a usual restaurant. The restaurant itself reports that 37% of their orders are mistaken, but also add that 99% of their customers are happy. (laughs) And Dave, on some level, this staff is more representative of a reality facing Japanese society currently. That is that it has an aging population and is currently on track to have the fastest growing number of prevalent cases of Alzheimer's disease. Dementia itself is widely misunderstood across the world, but particularly in Japan, where dementia can mean isolation from society or just poverty. The restaurant of mistaken orders is more than just a concept to stand out from the crowd. The restaurant is meant to raise awareness of dementia, but also prove to people who dine there that people with dementia can provide a service to society and help break some of the stigmas that exist around memory loss conditions and diseases. And Dave, this is what helps make this idea so unique. The order will be delivered correct or incorrect, but ultimately, the diners seem to generally enjoy the dining experience experience either way, which is what it's all about. But to me, the doubling down on the idea to make an even bigger statement here is what I find so fascinating about this. So
0: I think that's kind of awesome. Um, because I, I think it's the worst thing that can happen to you. If it's not the worst, it's in contention for the worst. When, you're, when you are not yourself. So I have no issue with that. I think that's awesome. What I have more of an issue with is People that you can just tell that, that don't have dementia, like their brains are fine, but you know they're not going to remember what you said. You know, so this gets back to
1: <laughs> so you so you're at a restaurant and they come up without the paper, That's exactly like I already know where this is going. going. They come out, don't try
0: to be, a and hero. you're like,
1: you're not going to remember. it. You're like, you're not going to remember. People it. act you're, like who are you yeah. press, who are yeah, you yeah, press. You're not a five star
0: <laughs> waiter. You don't need to pretend like you, you're going to remember everything when the people come up with, that, especially if you have multiple people. So if you have like a table of six and you guys are ordering and they don't have a paper, every order is wrong, I'm telling you right now. The whole thing's a disaster. And you can tell because as you're ordering and you're, you're making like certain modifications, their eyes have glazed. Like they're not even looking at you. So there's, there might not be, instead of no pickle, there might be multiple pickles. Now, if you're at a five-star restaurant and you're not writing something down, that's awesome. That's why you're there, you know?
1: Uh, it's a little bit of a double double standard. No, that's different because I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's
0: just... an, there's an elite quality. That's why you're there. Like it's. See, this is the airport <laughs> thing at the beginning again. This is I'll a... tell you though, when I was in that that special diamond club. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, the go no, basket no, again. Seriously, like it was cool. Like it was like they didn't want us to go up there, the people, because we you're had like guests. when I was
1: shooting pool with some uh, you know <laughs> some millionaire. We had we
0: had guest passes, and you could tell like they like okay these people don't belong. Like my wife, does. <laughs> and so we get up there. And you can see through. It's one of those, like, you can see the other people, but they can't see you kind of thing.
1: Uh-huh. And so
0: you go up this escalator, and you're going. The, the air quality even changes as you go. Up <laughs> and okay, you get, it's good. You get, you're getting a little ridiculous. You now. get into this this <laughs> lounge, and I, I'm telling you, man, when we got up there and I looked out and I saw the hustle and bustle of the airport, and I knew I wasn't part of it, I just started laughing. <laughs> it was like a, a joker, an uncontrollable laugh. Just a, see, this is like... <laughs> like it got crazy if
1: if you were born in some different time and you were born into like a position of power it would have been very dangerous you know like if you were born a prince in the middle ages or something like you would have just been completely out of control it's like I
0: could have just watched it for hours (laughs)
1: like these people they're all uh, they
0: have no clue and that's it Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out. We're on Facebook, X, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For j and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. I'll never forget, man, the entire time your ceremony was going on. I, I can't remember any of it because I was so scared of all those bees. Or tons of bees. Like I want to say, I'm not exaggerating. I want to say there were hundreds of bees.
1: Oh, that is exaggerating. There were like maybe six. I mean, it was like
0: it was like instead of a pastor marrying you, it was a hive. <laughs>